Hi there, I'm Michelle Musi, the irreverent, feisty, but irresistible author of Love Capades. And I'm Sally Kaplan, Michelle's partner in crime as her editor and clever co-host on this audio adventure. Welcome everyone to the Love Capades podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the Love Capades podcast. We left off last time with Michelle engaged in a whole string of playful, even titillating encounters with intriguing men. Many of those were pretty darned hilarious. But in this next section, she gets involved with much more serious situations. So strap on your seatbelt and let's take the roller coaster ride together. The chapter we start with today is called More International Relations. Whereas I had chickened out of studying international relations at Fletcher, I continued to study them in a more personal way. I met the next character ensnared in my love web at the local watering hole called the British Bankers Club. Just having returned from one of my spa weeks at the ranch, looking relatively slim and seductive, I went trolling one spring evening in 1981 with two girlfriends. While sipping a margarita, I noticed an interesting-looking bloke across the room who had a full-on stare going. Eventually, he sent a scout over to invite the three of us to join the three of them. I found it interesting that he didn't come over himself, but it will become clear soon enough. Shortly, we were all doing the flirtation dance midst the noisy commotion of the popular saloon. With all the sparring going on, it quickly became obvious what the main attraction was. Moi self versus Mr. Sultry Stare. He had his sights on me and wasn't going to take no for an answer. As a colonel in the Israeli army and national war hero, Yosef Ben-Hanan, Yossi for short, knew how to get what he wanted. He'd been sent to study heaven knows what for a long sabbatical in the U.S., one year at Harvard and one year at Stanford. I eventually learned that he'd been the number two guy to Ariel Sharon in the Lebanese war, thrusting him into hero status. He was married, although separated from, Ben-Gurion's daughter, and a media darling on the cover of many magazines, including Life magazine and New York magazine. All this made him the lust target of just about every woman in Israel. So as you can easily understand, he was used to getting his way with women. He decided I was to be his next conquest. Did I have a chance against such commanding confidence? I'd met my match, and to be honest, he was an alarmingly charismatic guy. So why wouldn't I want to surrender to his charms? And surrender I did. Later that very night, with a hefty measure of chutzpah, he called me and invited himself over. I tried to postpone the visit, but it was hard to say no to Yossi. Within minutes, the not-so-stealth bomber appeared. My sweet cottage was undergoing a massive remodel project at the time, and I was camped in one small bedroom and one bathroom. With all my effects squished into a small space, I could barely tiptoe around the room. So when he arrived, 
Yossi made a dramatic entry through the open bedroom window. He jumped up to the sill, slithered through the double-hung window with his dog tags dangling from his neck and catapulted onto my bed. What can I say? It was compelling, exciting, erotic, in a word, unforgettable. I was immediately putty in his hands. That night was the beginning of one of my most memorable love capades. Yossi was a wild man, a soldier of fortune, a war hero. He loved women, or at least conquering women. Yossi continued to come through my window for the next few months, dog tags always dancing, until he had to return to Israel. Our dates had been memorable, like the time we drove to the coast, where he hooked up with a skydiving group and hurled himself off the cliffs as I watched in wonder. I'd never been with a daredevil before, and it definitely held my attention. He also had a romantic side, which showed up when we went to the top of Coit Tower in San Francisco and gazed like moon children across the twinkling lights of the city. Upon returning home to Israel, Macho Lover was promoted to Brigadier General in the Israeli Defense Forces. He continued to be in touch via mail with various provocative letters and postcards, which I still have stashed in my trusty leather love satchel, the one that holds all my love letters and memorabilia. At this point in time, my love life had taken a backseat to a whole menu of other activities. Career, tennis, deacon duties at the Presbyterian Church, and a fair bit of international travel. So hearing from the general was always a welcome event. Good fare, too, for my active fantasy life. If I couldn't scrooby-doo, I could sure fantasize about it. And here's a tip I'd learned along the way. To enhance sexual satisfaction, it helps to fantasize while in the act. It amps things up. One warm summer evening in 1983, I got home after a long workday and, as always, went straight to my answering machine to check messages. Which client needed me? Instead, I heard a heavy-accented male voice say, Leave your bedroom window open and you will have a surprise. <laughs> I, I instantly knew it was Yossi and that he was nearby. I was so excited I started doing cartwheels in my mind. Turned out he was on a nationwide tour of the U.S. with his young son, Barack, and he'd saved three days in the Bay Area, which he wanted to spend with me. What a lovely reunion we had, although it was a bit tricky to do the dog tag tango with Barack underfoot all the time. <laughs> However, where there's a will, there's a way. Upon leaving, Yossi made a point of inviting me to come visit him in Israel. He said he'd show me his country as if I were the queen of Sheba, that I would be a guest in his home in Caesarea, and if I wasn't too shy, in his bed. What girl wouldn't love that proposition? 
Well, I suppose some shrinking violets might not. I began to formulate plans right away. As part of a tennis team that traveled twice a year for exchanges, often to foreign countries, I knew we were planning to be in Hilton Head, South Carolina, the next spring. It made sense to continue on to Israel after our tennis junket, since I'd have a 3,000-mile jump start. I'd be arriving at Easter, which also coincided with Passover that year. Along with seeing Yossi as a new Christian, the chance to walk the Stations of the Cross and steep myself in biblical history was thrilling. My friends in the tennis group thought I was mad to go all alone to see this man. But as always, I chose the road less traversed. Adventure requires risk, and I preferred the thrilling to the predictable. I literally carried my heart on my sleeve, as they say, on my journey to the spiritual capital of three great religions. A chance to meet God and Yossi on their home turf. I was thrilled beyond measure. Imagine my eagerness and nerves as I landed in Tel Aviv at the Ben-Gurion airport. There waiting in his military fatigues was the smiling general. With Yossi's personal driver as chauffeur, we made our way to his home in a Detroit-made Chevrolet that had been converted to an army vehicle. The house was a rough-around-the-edges, two-story structure built with cinder blocks. Essentially a bachelor pad, it was hardly luxurious, but it was his, and he was very proud of it. Caesarea is a picturesque town right on the scenic coast between Tel Aviv and Haifa. It was originally built by Herod the Great as a port city, so there is much history to the site. But it had become a sleepy, rather exclusive enclave, perfect for the general and many of his cronies. The first night, I remember taking a bath in the not-so-clean tub, as there was no shower in the house. Then I unpacked my suitcases and hung all my gear as a devotee of fashion. I always brought way too much stuff wherever I could find spots in the closet. In retrospect, this was not a very smart move, as I'm sure it felt like an invasion to Yossi. But at the time, I wasn't that savvy. We did make love in his bed before I conked out from the long trip, but not before I noticed how many calls he received on his cell phone. Most of them seemed to be from women. So as I lay in bed beside him, I got my first taste of what the experience held for me on the love front. Competition and drama at every turn. The next morning, we headed out with the same driver. The plan was for Yossi to go to work until the afternoon, and I was to get a tour of Tel Aviv with the driver as my escort. Okay, not what I had expected of someone who promised I'd be treated as the Queen of Sheba. The general had important duties, no doubt, but what had he planned to do with me? It became clear over the next few days that something was not right. In phone calls, in letters, in person, Yossi had practically begged me to come visit, and suddenly he acted as if I were merely an imposition messing with his routine. The second morning, when we drove to Army headquarters, he got out of the car and said, 
you can sleep with a driver today. Needless to say, I was beyond shocked. What had prompted that remark? I was hardly being treated as a revered guest, rather more like the enemy. This passive-aggressive behavior continued over the week or so that I stayed with him. Often Yossi would go out with other women, leaving me stranded. I did manage to visit Jerusalem over the Easter period and saw the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, and walked the Way of the Cross on Via Dolorosa. Yossi's behavior had certainly turned my mood dolorosa or full of suffering. I'd never seen this side of Yossi, vindictive, even vicious. One night before he went out to be with another woman, he took me by the shoulders and said, I could murder you and no one would do anything about it. For the first time in my life, I felt mortal danger, and I neither twitched an eyelash nor uttered a sound. What had gone awry in his twisted mind? Had the fact I'd become a Christian sent him over the edge, having too many clothes hanging in his closet? Certainly my conduct, however it may have irritated him, should not have elicited this kind of response. He left me in the house after this proclamation as if I were his prisoner. The only phone was a bright red one used for secret military communication. I couldn't call out on it, and I did not have my own cell phone. It was only 1984, after all. I was terrified, with absolutely no foreseeable recourse to safety. While waiting for the madman to return, I packed up my effects and yanked the heavy suitcases downstairs. Ever since my arrival, I'd been trying to figure out how I could restore the feeling we'd shared in California, believing that if I tried hard enough, things would be right again. But after this event, I was no longer going to try to right the sinking ship. By this time, I'd learned the hard way that Yossi was actually more misogynist than lover. It was definitely time to cut my losses and leave, if he would allow it. For lover money, my mind cannot conjure what happened when he returned that night. I was simply too terrified to remember. The next morning, I was somehow able to rent a car and get out of Caesarea. Again, my memory is short on details, but he must have helped with that as I was totally vulnerable. I do recall one strange detail. While waiting outside his front door for the rental car to arrive, he commented on the pretty blue sun I was wearing. It's odd what the mind remembers under stress, and it was odd that he noticed. I found a hotel room where I could regroup and figure out my next moves. Just like the broken foot incident in Switzerland, where by all rights I should have returned home, once again I made the unlikely decision to stay in Israel. I'd come that far, and I wanted to see the country. There was a club bed in a lot, a busy port city and popular resort at the southernmost tip of Israel on the Red Sea. 
You could practically reach out and touch Egypt from its shores. I desperately needed something lighthearted at this point, so I booked myself in for a week and flew south to the sea. Being the Easter Passover holiday, the club was full of fun seekers from places all around the globe, including some from the U.S. The first night, I hooked up with a young, sexy Jewish fellow from New York City. We drank and danced in the boisterous bar, and then he suggested we go back to his room, which turned out to be more of a dormitory than a room. Wanting to shake off the horror of my stay with Yossi, I let loose in a way I'd never have done otherwise. In a word, I found myself having wild sex, orgy style. There were couples copulating all over the room. (laughs) When I recapture the image in my mind, it was just like those Roman Saturnalia scenes in many low-budget movies. I tried not to judge myself then, and I don't now. I was in a shell-shocked state, doing whatever I could to block out the nightmare of the devil versus the diva. The rest of the week was much tamer. I spent a lot of time basking on the beach, listening over and over to Whitney Houston sing Greatest Love of All on my headphones. Here are the lyrics. Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Believing I'd come to spend time with a hero, I learned once and for all, perhaps, to depend on me, as the song suggested. Depending on myself came naturally, but this experience reinforced my deep need for independence. I could count on myself, but could I count on the support of a boyfriend when pregnant? A husband afraid of commitment? An Israeli soldier who turned wicked after masquerading as my lover? Let me stay here that hope springs eternal. I do believe there is the possibility of a mutually loving, respectful, supportive relationship. They exist. I've even seen a few. And I expect to experience one before I leave this lifetime. I've actually had a few myself in past lifetimes, discovered through past life regressions. Maybe I'll share those later. But now I'd like to continue the story of what happened next. After my week at Club Med, I wanted to spend more time in Jerusalem, the holy city of so many contrasts. I went to the travel office at the club and asked how to execute my plan. There was a very handsome French GO, you remember those guys, sitting at the desk. He helped me book a room at the legendary King David Hotel and also a flight to get me to Jerusalem. Then he said, I'm actually taking the same flight as I have club bed business there. We ended up dining together at the hotel. Then I said yes when he asked if I'd enjoy his company that night. What lovely sex with an obvious connoisseur of the sensual art form. A gift from the universe to help restore my faith in men? 
From the safety of the hotel as home base, I did explore Jerusalem and environs over the next several days. I took myself to the Jordan River, where I was rebaptized in the sacred waters. I went to Masada, the ancient stone fortress located high above the Dead Sea, where ancient Israelites defended themselves against Roman siege. I floated at the Dead Sea and came out looking and feeling like a crusty salted cod. <laughs> Most intriguing of all was the old city, where I visited the Wailing Wall and walked in the ancient Muslim markets where one could barter for anything with young and old Arab merchants. It reminded me some of the San Lorenzo market in Florence, where I first discovered my talent for negotiating. I remember distinctly one cheerful young Arab vendor with an engaging smile. He was so much friendlier than many of the Israelis I had met. But he made me feel that if I didn't watch my back, he might take advantage somehow. A big contrast to the in-your-face, short-on-civility style of some of the Israelis I'd encountered. I say these things not to disparage the two cultures, but to describe how different they are. No wonder tensions run so hot in such a cramped area, like a bad marriage where divorce isn't an option. One evening at the hotel bar, I met a very cultured man who turned out to be the Director General of the Jewish Agency for Israel. To this day, it's the largest Jewish nonprofit organization in the world, with a mission to inspire Jews throughout the world to connect with their people, heritage, and land. But at the time, I had no idea how big a deal he was, just that he was intelligent, polite, and interesting. Makes me wonder what about me attracted these powerhouse Jewish men. Of course, I shared with Shlomo my ordeal with the general. He was chagrined, a little embarrassed perhaps, and very sympathetic. What decent man wouldn't be? I believe it made him feel protective toward me as well. I saw Shlomo a few times while still in Jerusalem, and it seems that he was bitten by the love bug. I learned this because he wrote to me in the summer of 1984, saying that he would be coming to the Aspen Institute that September, and that he wanted to travel to the West Coast specifically to visit me. He was familiar with San Francisco as he'd been the Consul General for Israel from 1973 to 1977. I've always tried to be hospitable to foreign visitors because for the most part, at least, I have been treated with kindness so often during my travels, but I had no idea what I was in for. I agreed to meet him in the city at Sam's Grill for dinner. He told me he loved fish, and that's when his fixation was revealed. I remember every detail of the bizarre evening as I recorded it verbatim in my journal. He told me that he thought about me all the way over on the plane and wondered if I could live in Israel ostensibly with him. He explained that he was married to a second wife of 29 years at that point with three children, but was thinking of changing partners. He shared that all his women had been, quote, blonde, beautiful, brainy, and softic. The conversation that night, in retrospect, fascinates me. 
He had clearly fast-forwarded his feelings. Warp speed fast. I'd label his thinking as fertile fantasy with overtones of wild imagination. One could be flattered if one were interested. Shlomo described himself at dinner as skeptical, non-believing, intellectual, idealistic, and a romantic. God help me. It wasn't the kind of romance I had in mind. He explained how he'd been monogamous for years, but had recently decided that wasn't getting him anywhere, so he'd begun to seek the company of other women. What I told him in an attempt to deflect his advances was that I'd become a steadfast Christian who didn't believe in involvement with married men. Trust me, if I could say no to Xander... It would be very easy to say no to Shlomo, who did not bring my chimes at all. I have to admit, this is a bit of a fib. But what can a girl do when she doesn't want to be brutally honest? I did tell him that I was ready to remarry, which he'd assumed because he believed I was planning on marrying the general and living in Israel. And then he asked what I would do if I started to like someone who was married. I replied that I'd wait until they were no longer married. At this point, he put on the big moves, trying to kiss and fondle me in the booth at Sam's. Revolted, I successfully fought off his assault, but it didn't stop him from blurting out that he was falling in love with me. All these years later, we are in the midst of the Me Too movement in which women as a group are actively fighting against sexual abuse. Way back then, along with countless women throughout time, I had to fight my own solo war against this inappropriate and unwelcome behavior. To this day, I'm still bewildered why such an accomplished man would humiliate himself in this way. Why would he do it? Did he actually think this form of wooing would work? I confess that as an amateur student of psychology, I just don't get it. This escapade remains a mystery in my ongoing pursuit to understand the ways of love. Believe it or not, after this charged combat, <laughs> Shlomo persisted in his pursuit. In a subsequent letter, he said that he thought I was, quote, Everything a man looks for in a woman, grace, warmth, femininity, sex, button sewing. What an intriguing description. He had the chutzpah to think that my rebuffs were, quote, immature. In fact, rather than what they were, rebuffs. So he pressed once more for me to give him a chance. A premier example of the male ego on display. He was returning to the States again that December and was hopeful to see me. I had no interest in repeating our last encounter, so I declined the invitation. As I explained earlier, a woman gets to choose from those who choose her. I'd been chosen in an inexplicable, unsubtle, and unrealistic manner but I wasn't interested. Whatever weird karmic thing I had with Israeli men had hopefully come to an end. 
So before closing today's reading, I have another wonderful love bite to share. After I left Israel and the Yossi debacle, I stopped in Paris on my way home. Alone in the City of Lights, I visited the Latin Quarter for some good jazz and a taste of the lively nightlife. Toward the end of the evening, I walked into a bar for a nightcap. The lights were dim and the space full of atmosphere. My eyes acclimated and then saw the long, empty bar. There was one gentleman sitting at the far end facing in my direction. As if in a film noir, I walked slowly toward him and took the bar stool at his right angle. I pulled a cigarette out of my purse, and within a few seconds, without a word, he struck a match and lit it for me. Very sexy, very French. He was a young businessman from Switzerland, and we fell into a comfortable conversation. Eventually, I got up to leave, exited the bar, and hailed a taxi. He followed like a sad puppy, obviously wanting to join me for a night of lovemaking. After a moment or two of doubt, I let him in the taxi and enjoyed a night of love Parisian style. After what I'd been through, it was a welcome ego healing treat. So, Michelle, more international relations, I shall say, <laughs> very, very dramatic and wonderful. I mean, all over the map, my God. So, back to before we find out the true colors of Yossi, I, I was impressed by your description of when you first met him, and I like how you called him Mr. Sultry Stare. <laughs> <laughs> and that he cho- <laughs> and that he chose you and the that seductive thing of being the one that's chosen by someone who clearly is you know kind of aggressive but commanding and so i was i was taken in by your description of him too i probably would have fallen as well but then it's very seductive no let me just say so here i am in the local watering hole with my two gal pals, and there are these three guys across the room, and this one guy is just staring up a storm. And I thought, well, he's obviously, you know, chosen me some way way or fashion. But instead of coming over to approach me, he sends a scout over. And I thought at the time, well, that's interesting. And then it became quite obvious. It was because he was a commanding character. And, you know, he w- it was beneath him to approach me directly. But anyway, so we, you know, we chat. The, we all are talking away. And then he took my contact information, of course. And then I got home. And shortly after I got home, he called and wanted to come over. <laughs> well... For, you know, I wasn't ready for that. And here I am in a completely compacted space because my whole house was under siege in a remodel. But he insisted. So that was, <laughs> that then led to this unbelievably unforgettable scene 
where he comes through the bedroom window with his <laughs> dog tags, which he always wore, his dog tags hanging down, and he jumped onto the bed. I mean, really, I'll never forget it. But going going back a little bit, because I realized I left something out I wanted to ask you about. So you did open this segment with saying that you had chickened out of going to the international school you were thinking of, Fletcher, and that you decided to study international relations in a more personal <laughs> way. I love that. I just love that. And that oh. you went, this I love too, you went trolling with the girls. Now, where'd you come up with that trolling? Well, I think it's probably still a practice that happens to this day. And, you know, I mean, guys and gals want to find each other and get together and fall in love and all those things. And one of the places that happens is at the local watering hole. So I had just returned from one of my spa weeks and I was feeling very svelte and sexy. And I remember the dress I wore. I wore this Missoni sundress. And, you know, Masoni's a famous uh, Italian um, fashion house, but they use knitted material. I was very kind of see-through, and hmm. there was a lot of skin showing, as I recall. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was tanned, and again, so we went trolling in the sense that we were looking for guys. And God bless America, did I find one. Gee whiz. Humdinger. <laughs> I wish some of the young women today could have some of that experience because now it's like Tinder or this or that and like trolling and the real thing is so much more romantic anyway. Well, you're right. You know, today they do it online, I suppose, to a large yeah. degree. And yeah. in that day, they we didn't have online, that option. Exactly. <laughs> we didn't have that option. So yeah, it's kind of right. trolling, like, like you're out with a fishing rod and you're trying to hook somebody. I love, I just love that image. I love it. Anyway, back to back to Wildman Yossi. You did say something also that he clearly, in your lovemaking and whatnot, found out that he loved women. But you also said something that was maybe foreboding about him, that maybe he loved conquering women, right? Now, I know that you were in the throes of his seductive qualities, so looking back, you may see it as a warning sign. But the conquer seems to be very important to this guy. <laughs> well, he was he was a soldier and he was a big BFD soldier and very sure of himself. And so I was, you know, I think I may have said before, but I have always been a little bit susceptible to the kind of men who grab you by the hair and drag you to their cave. Well, <laughs> y Yossi was definitely one of those. And it was hard for me to say no to him. So anyway, I was definitely conquered, I would say, by Yossi. But the conquest aspect of his way of being with women wasn't clear until later on. So that remark I made in the book at that point came after I experienced the entire saga. Right, right. So going back to the moment of being pulled in, I so then, of course, he goes away and you receive some letters. And what is it you said where you stored them? Where'd you store those letters? <laughs> oh, in my leather love satchel. So in the, love, the leather love satchel, I have all these love letters and mementos and memorabilia. And I have to say, by the way, just for you listeners, I have a couple of photographs of Barack and Yossi 
when they came to visit. And so I will post those on the Facebook page. You can go there and see them. I have to see that. Then, So you also talked about, of course, just a little bit more about when he comes with his son <laughs> and trying to, you know, enjoy each other in a lovemaking way with a son underfoot. What'd you say? Like the dog dance, the dog tag tat. Tango? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I called it the dog tag tango. <laughs> because, oh, my God. You know, Yossi always was wearing his dog tags. And here was his <laughs> six or seven-year-old son who, you know, we had to deal with that. And so it was always a little tricky about sneaky and the sex. I'm sure. And and another, another point that you made that I just wanted to underscore because I found it interesting was when you talked about through letters and whatnot and and the fantasy that you had, fa- the importance of fantasizing, because I feel like that is something that is typical, we all know, kind of stereotypical of men doing, but we don't always feel as women that that's an important part. We're always into the romantic side of love, but I think it's wonderful. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is a, this is something that I don't know how many women are aware of, but it is a really, really good thing to be doing, even in the act of lovemaking, is to fantasize. And as you say, men do this all the time. I mean, they have their pinups on the inside of the locker and they have their porn sites and all the rest. But for us women, who are, tend to be more rom- romantic in the traditional sense, it also turns out that a very effective, how shall I say, sex enhancement is something I learned from a book that I had read at that point by Lonnie Barback. And Lonnie Barback to this day is a famous, renowned expert in the sex field. And she wrote this book, Lonnie Barback's first seminal work is called For Yourself, the Fulfillment of Female Sexuality. So in it, she suggests that a a good thing to do is to fantasize about yourself in various romantic situations, even when you're with another man. And let me tell you, at that point in in my life, I was, I I said, in a love lull. So I used to do a lot of fantasizing. (laughs) And let me share that to this day, you know, fantasizing and vibrators are uh, better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think you what should write the, the you should write the American version of the Kuma Sutra or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. The Kuma Sutra. Mm, anyway, yum yum yum. Anyway, mm, yum yum. Anyway, moving moving forward a little bit, if that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, we can get past it. Can we get past it? So he actually <laughs> aggressively, aggressive as he was, he pushed for you to come visit him in Israel. And you're, you, I think you said your girlfriends were like, what? Are you crazy? You would, you would think of going, what were they, what was their point? It was because they thought you barely knew him or what was that? Well, this was my group of tennis buddies and we had this fantastic club where we used to travel internationally and have exchanges with people in other countries and sometimes in the U.S. And so this group of ladies, about 20 of them, you know, we were in Hilton Head having this exchange and they knew I was going on to Israel and they all said, are you crazy (laughs) to go all the way over there by yourself to meet this army general? (laughs) So, you know, at the time I 
I basically paid no attention to what they had to say because I was hell-bent to get over there and see Yossi and meet God on the path. Meet God on the path. But you also said what was so great, if I'm remembering the way you said it right, is something, you said something like, you were always one to choose thrill over the predictable. Is that yeah. the right way to say it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And again, it's part of my nature. And so these women, you know, were all, most of them married and conservative. And here I was, the bachelorette, and I was going to do what I wanted to do. And of course, the irony, the irony, Sally, is that they were right. <laughs> I know. That's why, that's why I was wondering, did they see something you didn't see? Or was it more just just, who knows? Uh, they they were just being typical conservative ladies, and I was uh, a thrill seeker. Maybe they were a little jealous. Maybe they were a little jealous. I'm anyway, sure they so were. So you, you get to the airport in Tel Aviv, and what does he pick you up in? <laughs> oh, gosh. So here, you know, the, the airport in Israel is a bit daunting. There's so much security around. It's not a very fancy place. And here he met me in his army fatigues, with a big smile on his face. And then we go out to the curb where his driver is waiting for us in the car, which is his, quote, limousine, his army limousine. And it was an old, funky Chevrolet. <laughs> that cracks me up. That cracks I know. me up. It was funny. Yeah. So anyway, so so the the idea and the romance and the wonder of it is still with you until you get to his house. And then it sounds to me like even that first night, there were some telltale signs of something not necessarily going the way you were going to hope. Well, he had all these messages on his machine or his phone or something from well, women. <laughs> well, I knew that th there were definite red flags from the beginning. So here I was on this two-story bachelor pad that he had built, which he was extremely proud of. It was kind of rough around the edges. And the first night I'm in bed with him and the phone, his, he had a cell phone at that time. I don't know how he did, but maybe it was ahead of the curve. It kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And what I realized <laughs> was they were all women calling him. I thought, well, this is interesting. What am I doing here? And it went downhill from there. And the way you coped, I like the way you said, you know, the way you were coping with this spiral down was kept, you kept trying to get back to the way the two of you were in California, which was so romantic sounding and so lovely. So the opposite of what he turned out to be when you went to visit him. I think this shows one of my characteristics. I often give people too much rope, too much benefit of the doubt. So here I was in this very weird situation, which was totally not what I expected. And I was being mistreated. And of course, there was the climax of the murder scene. But I was being mistreated. And instead of seeing the writing on the wall and getting out of Dodge right away, which would have been the smart thing to do, I kept saying to myself, well, if I try hard enough, maybe it'll go back to the way it was in California. And I think that this is a bit of a character flaw that I have. Well, you you got out easy in a way. I mean, it sounds like the guy really could have been a terrible, horrible threat. He he tells you to sleep with his driver at one point, and then oh, he actually God. says he could murder you. I mean, who? Th this is a psychopath. It's yeah. like a total psychopath. You were asking about his behavior. I mean, he was clearly 
he was clearly a misogynist, but beyond that, a psychopath, a sociopath. You know, you asked me, well, didn't I see this or what could I do about it? And here we are in the in the period of time where we've endured an insane sociopathic president, whose name I won't even mention. And it's the same thing. You say, well, how, how could you do that? It, I can't answer. I can't answer why he... Yeah, because we're trying to find a rational reason for his behavior, and there probably isn't no, one. So there isn't that? one. And, and to this day, I cannot tell you how he could have changed, flipped from being this lovely, romantic, you know, soldier of fortune to this maniac. I can't explain it. Yeah. But Michelle, truly, you were on a razor's edge. I mean, true danger. This this is a scary episode of your love capades, I have to say. And what what was it, the trigger for you where you finally said, you know, I've got to get the heck out of here? Well, it was the murder scene. That that did it. I mean, I had been there for a week and, you know, I'd been mistreated and I kept trying to make it right. And then when that happened, I, I finally said, all right, the jig is up. I'm getting out of here if I want to survive. And I honestly didn't know if I was going to be able to because it depended on whether he was going to let me out of his prison. And luckily he did and I survived. But it was touch and go. Touch and go, yeah. And not only did he let you out, but there was some weird thing where he's actually complimenting you on the dress you're wearing before you, I don't know, your hat? As he, that's a psychopath. Well, it was part of the good Yossi instead of the bad Yossi. So, you know, with these characters, you get the the charming, engaging side, and then you have the dangerous, mean-spirited, sicko side. And in that, in that strange scene where I was waiting for the car so I could leave him, he had this, you know, good good moment where he said, oh, what a charming hat you're wearing. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's almost like borderline behavior. You know, the, you're the angel until you're the devil and then you're the angel again or something. He seemed to like you when you were leaving or not really there. Anyway, I'm not going to psychoanalyze him because what I what I'd really like to do is go to what you did next, which was a wild scene where you you needed something lighthearted, so you go to your to go lighthearted place, Club Med, and you meet a guy, and all sounds very sweet until you get go back to the dormitory room, and then what orgy? Did you say orgy? <laughs> well. At the time that we were dancing and carrying on in the bar and he invited me back to his room, I didn't know it was the dormitory. I thought it was his right. room. And I get there and it is like bunk beds everywhere. <laughs> you know, couples copulating all oh, over the place. My God. And I, by this time I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of drunk, of course, <laughs> and you know, and here is this sexy guy. And so I I let loose. I went, "Okay, why not? Go for it." At the time, you know, it was like not in my character to be in an orgiastic <laughs> Saturnalian scene, but goddamn, I had been through hell, and it, this is what was presented to me, and I went with it. And at the time, you know, I could have been disgusted with my behavior, but I wasn't. I thought I gave myself a break, and I thought, you know, Michelle, you have been through hell. You almost lost your life. So having a little sex <laughs> in an orgy yeah. 
is okay. Well, I think, yeah. And when I think back on it, Sally, when I think back on it, I don't judge myself now either. No, nor am I judging you. I love it. I mean, it's just the high contrast. Like, I think you said the devil versus the diva. And then, you know, the high contrast, I think, of what's to come next, where you, you know, you're not going to just go home and lick your wounds, but you're going to, God damn it, you're in Israel, you're going to enjoy yourself and and see some of the godlike things. You were a Christian. It's just a great contrast. <laughs> yes, it was. And it's a, it's a well, sign it of your like character. it was like making... Well, it was making hay out of, you know, a disaster. I was going to turn the the lemon the lemons into lemonade. And that's what I did. I picked up myself, I licked off my wounds, I licked my wounds, and I went to Club Med and I kicked up my heels and then I proceeded to finish my agenda in spite of what had happened with Yossi. And again, it's most young women would have gone home. To be safe and sound. But that was not my character. And it was the same thing that had happened in Switzerland when I had to jump off a burning roof, break two feet, and instead of coming home to, to take care of myself, I just kept forging ahead. Yeah. yeah. And then a, a softer love capade followed with uh, that geo French guy that you met that happened to be flying to Jerusalem, too. I mean, that's a that's a beautiful, that was a beautiful story. It was so, so lovely. And so, as you say, in contrast to what I had experienced, and it was kind of the universe saying, it's going to be okay. It's not, not all men are awful and not every love situation is going to be hurtful. It was, it was wonderful. And then while you're traveling through Israel, you have this experience you describe where, you know, I, I really do believe that there, there are elements of all stereotypes that are true. You know, I've been to Israel too. I know what you mean. There's a very kind of hard edge, aggressive nature a lot of Israeli people have. And you saw the difference between that and what you experienced with Arab people. It was it's just an interesting point that you made. Well, you know, it's true. The, the, the two cultures are very different. You know, the Israelis in particular are very hard-edged. You know, they've had a history of survival and they're tough as nails and they don't mince words and they're in your face. The Arabs, on the other hand, can be extremely charming and friendly and winsome, but there's an, also an air of danger with them because it's the sabotage, it's the stab in the back that is imminent with, with the Arabs, I felt. So it was just an interesting contrast in this very small space. Jerusalem is, a, as we all know, a fascinating powder keg of a place, and yet very spiritual place. It's, it's the cradle of, of religion, basically, and I had that experience. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting you also added that, you know, it's no wonder they're always at war. I mean, I growing up Jewish and having spent a little bit of time in Israel, when people ask me about it, I like to say, you know, I mean, it's like two brothers fighting, still fighting. You know, if you go back biblically to, to where the fight all began. But anyway, it was an interesting comment that you brought forth in the episode. So then, next came Shlomo. <laughs> oh, my God. Shlomo. Oh, 
my God. God. Yes. I mean, how many love capades fit into the, what'd you say, like a two-week period? (laughs) Well, I was in Israel a month. So I had the Yossi thing, then I was a week in, in Club Med, and then I came back to Jerusalem. And one night in the hotel bar, I met this gentleman, Shlomo Todmore. And we spent a couple of evenings together, and I quickly learned, you know, what a sophisticated, erudite man he was, very intelligent, very worldly, very sophisticated, and he had a very, very, very important job in Israel. And so anyway, we spent some time together, and then I went home, only to find out that he'd been smitten. He'd been that love bug had bitten him. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, did he come off strong. Obnoxiously strong. Well, again, is Israeli. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? But he did say, you know, he, he charmed you. I mean, he said something like, what, I love blonde, brainy, zoftig, kind of, that you fit his type completely. You were his woman. And then later he goes on to say what the perfect wife would be. What was a button sewing? <laughs> Grace, warmth, fem- femininity, yep. and button sewing. Just what you were looking for, right, Michelle? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was an intriguing description, I have to say. But it is interesting. Basically, what happened is that he wrote to me and said he was coming to the U.S. and going to the Aspen Institute, and could he come visit me in San Francisco? So, because, again, he was an interesting man, I wasn't really attracted to him physically, but he was an interesting man. And so I said, sure. So he came and we spent a few days, you know, and I met him in San Francisco at his favorite restaurant. And it turned out he had been the consul general in San Francisco, if you can believe it. So we met at Sam's Grill and that's when he revealed that he was in love with me. And then he jumped, tried to jump my bones. Oh, God. And I, I, you know, I went, Nick's on this. No, 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 no. And so he went went away, went home, but then he didn't give up. He wrote to me again and said, you're confused, your your rebuffs are just immature <laughs> reactions and, you know, typical male ego. And that's when he said, you are the, you know, you're my perfect woman. You're full of grace and beauty and charm and femininity and you're sexy and you're a button sewer. <laughs> And you're beautiful, brainy, sexy, and zoftic. But so I basically, he wanted to come see me again because he was coming back to the U.S. And I said, no, thank you. I, with great uh, hope that that was the end of my Israeli powerhouse men chapters. I, 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 that was it. I didn't need any more of that experience. But what's interesting to me is, you know, with, with Yossi at the beginning, you know, you were really taken by someone who the man who was going to drag you to his cave. And here was a man who was going to drag you to your cave. Hello, but you weren't attracted to him, which is the difference, you know, big difference there. Well, and I think another thing that we we should bring up at this point, Sally, is the, is the sexual abuse aspect. So we're living in a time of Me Too, where women are very vociferously and, and actively combating the syndrome of sexual abuse. And in both a case, both cases with these Israeli men, Yossi and Shlomo, 
I had to endure that and had to fight my own solo war against the sexual abuse. And and women all through time have had to fight it. And now it's become a subject that is on the table for more serious discussion. And sexual harassment. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that leads me to, I was very touched by your singing and reviewing the Whitney Houston song, the whole idea of depending on no one but yourself. That, you know, it's like a real character growth through this series of, this whole episode, this series of Love Capades. And you're recalling, you know, that a man wasn't there for you when you got pregnant. A man wasn't there for you to stand by you in a marriage. And here you went through all this. And you need to learn to depend on yourself. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. It was just really beautiful. And and the and the kind of sweet, sweet irony of my reclining on the beach in a lot after I had been so abused and listening to that song. I must have listened to it a hundred times. And those beautiful words, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself and depend on yourself. So that that was just a, a beautiful sort of experience that I shall never forget. It was an expansion of something I already knew, which was that I needed to depend on myself and to be independent. And this that whole experience reinforced that for me. And then on to Paris. Well, on to Paris, but it clearly it's a nice segue into going on to Paris because here you are. You've been through something major. You're, you're, you've licked your wounds. You're, you've come out alive on the other side. You've also come out feeling secure in yourself as a woman, loving herself. And you walk into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> and you describe it as a noir movie. I almost saw it almost like a painting. I mean, he at the end and the cigarette and the flowing and I see the colors and I see the whole scene. How could you not have gone together that night somewhere? Well, I always recall it as a, a scene in a, in a film noir. It was so, it was as if Steven Spielberg had directed the scene. It was so erotic and so, I don't, ew, it was just amazing. And it happened. It was like, uh, it happened organically and naturally, but it was as if a director were in the back corner of the bar directing the scene. And so we we spent this time together. I mean, that lighting the cigarette thing was just amazing. And then I had to leave. So I go out and I hail a taxi. And I'm not thinking I'm bringing the guy home with me. You see, this is typical of me. So I have this encounter with this guy. And most many women would say, well, gee, let's finish it up with a, you know, a bang in the hay. But not me. No, I was leaving. <laughs> and then he followed me like a sad puppy dog. So, yeah, and the, the taxi driver is about ready to drive away, and I'm thinking, oh, well, what the hell? <laughs> so I let him in the taxi and, you know, spent a lovely night of sex, lovemaking. But also, I think what you said was it was welcome and it was ego healing. You know, you had been through so much. I, I think just to wrap up for, for, for our listeners of this episode, what hits me about you or 
is your capacity after such experiences that are dark and negative to to pick up again and be open to experience again and just your openness and your ability to pop back unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) so when you say pop back i have to share something with you so i've often said about myself that i'm like you know one of those blow up sex dolls (laughs) and 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 somebody knocks her down and she's flat on the floor (laughs) but instantaneously she pops back up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I kind of see myself as the pop-up doll that, you know, yes, I can I can take a knock and but I bounce back quickly and it's just part of who I am. So, but it also doesn't close you to to future experiences many more of which I'm looking forward to hearing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are more to come and many of them not quite as harrowing oh, as this last Thank batch. God. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Sally, for bringing out all those points and being my sojourner along this trail. I'm grateful to you for that. It's an honor. Thank you for listening to the Love Capades podcast. If you'd like to submit questions, please send them to michelle at lovecapades.com. And that's spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E at L-O-V-E-C-A-P-A-D-E-S dot com. Also check out our Facebook page and website, both called Love Capades, for fun facts and groovy visual stuff. I am the author, Michelle Musi, and my co-host is Sally Kaplan. The Love Capades podcast is skillfully and playfully produced by StudioPod Media. You can find them at studiopodsf.com.